With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, Ed McGrogan here with another podcast. Here today with Steve Tigner and Richard Pagliaro during um, full week of tournaments and some in tournaments that have been increasingly stronger in their fields. Uh, two matches that we watched today were very strong opening or um, early round matches. In Doha, you had Venus Williams and Petra Kvitova, and in Rotterdam, 500 level event, we had Montfis against Del Potro. Um, a number of players had some injury issues coming into this mat, these, these matches, um, and just questions about you know where they could go next. Montfis was coming in off a title uh, last week. Um, Kvitova, we don't. She kind of comes in off really everything, good and bad. So um, maybe Steve, I'll have you start with the match you watch, and it was quite a match overall. Kvitova and Venus, um, it was pretty much what you would expect, which was completely unpredictable match. But they'd played three times, and all the matches had gone to three sets, and the last one had gone to a third set tiebreaker. And we know that Kvitova plays more three-setters than anybody. So this was pretty much, you know, even though it was back and forth, that was really what we expected. She won the first set easily. Venus won the second set easily. And then um, Venus got up 4-1 in the third, had a had an easy forehand to break serve to go up 5-1 in the third, but instead she hit a drop shot for some unknown reason. She put it in the net, and Kvitova came all the way back to leave 5-4. Then they ended up playing a tiebreaker, which was an excellent, you know, the match got really good, from four all on in the third, it suddenly became really dramatic and, and really well played. Venus wouldn't really let go, even though she'd, she'd blown the lead. Yeah, um, so you, before you go any further, so you have Kvitova getting up 5-4, then not being able to serve out the match. And then what you mentioned about Kvitova, who ends up winning this match, is he plays all these three setters. Um, for all of that, you know, where she is in the ranking, she actually – is pretty good at three setter. I mean, she she does manage to, to heighten the uh, you know stress, of course, of what's required, and not do herself any favors with getting matches through in easy fashion. We see at the slams a lot with her. I feel like, but she does manage to get through a lot of these tough tests here. Yeah, the three setters are almost routine straight setters for most people. She just can't seem to play two straight sets of being really on. She'll just go off. It just at some point, it's just. It's just automatic in a way. But she um, she was good at these two tournaments, Doha and Dubai last year. Last year she lost to Serena after being up 4-1 in the third, and then she won Dubai. So these are big tournaments for her. She's defending a lot of points. She's Her ranking is pretty high, but it could come down if she doesn't if she doesn't have a good um, next couple of weeks. 
And how about Venus's performance today? You know, from what I saw there, if you compare it to Venus that we've seen a little bit recently, I thought for the most part, the rallying, you know, it, it wasn't like Kvitova was waiting on an error for her, at least in a lot of, of the pivotal portions of this, of this match. A lot of the big points, as you say, were decided by, you know, I think, Good hitting winners. It was not. It wasn't at the end a, ma- a you know a match of mistakes really. Yeah. Well, it was through the first two sets. Of, you know, this, the crazy stat to me was Venus won the second set six two with four winners and eleven unforced errors, um, but she still won that set easily. Um, she played. She fought well and she um, came back from a bad start. She had a start that made me think that it was going to be one of her sort of days when she was just too exhausted. To, to go, she was broken right out of the gate. But she, but she ended up playing pretty well, and I would say that was a, it's a pretty positive result for her to to have a match point on Kvitova, top you know a top ten player, um, even though she ended up losing this. I don't think she, I think that's a, that's not a bad result playing wise for her. Yeah, like you said, both players have had match points in this match. Lots of service breaks too, just you know all around, and these are. You know, thinking back to what you know Venus's serve was and how good we supposed Kvitova should be as a lefty, it was you know a match of obviously big return you know service woes there really at the end um, or throughout the match. Um, Richard, we'll get to your match now. Um, Monfils and Del Potro. Del Potro coming in after a, many weeks of rest and recuperation on the wrist that just not this injury that never seems to go away um and the last time we saw Del Potro second round Aussie Open exit after sort of the annual build up of hype to him justified I think coming in to the Aussie Open at the time and Monfils coming in with a very strong record uh of his own actually um as you mentioned He'd only lost two matches before, and both those were to Nadal there. So, you know, take me through this match a little bit, what you saw and how it all unfolded. Well, I was really interested to see how Del Potro, first of all, he had no taping on the wrist, so I thought that was a good sign. It was kind of an odd start because the prior two matches both went three sets, Haas, Verdasco, and Debacher, Gasquet. So you come out thinking, you know, they're ready to go, and... Mafiz is sitting there before the toss, like, wrapping his rat. It's like, dude, you had five hours in the locker room to put your grip on. Why Why are you making Del Po? It was just a weird, like, he almost didn't look ready to go. And then when he got out there, he was a little jittery. It was kids' day, a lot of kids chattering. And he. it just seemed he was a little bit on edge. And he got broken right out of the box and was sort of given a little bit to Carlos Bernardes. But I, I don't think it was really, uh, you know his his fault at all I thought Del Potro played well he was a little trying to serve out the first set he had triple uh, set point and he stumbled there got into a tiebreaker Monfi was up 4-2 in a tiebreak and then Del Potro turned it up as you would expect he really dictated uh, with his forehand and I remember last year at the open when he lost to Hewitt when the wrist was bothering him he was hitting a lot of slice backhands and today he was hitting the two-hander. I mean, he wasn't crunching it like like you've seen him sometimes, but he was he was playing it. It looked that, pain-free to me, and it, and he when he got the forehand, he was doing some damage, especially as the match progressed. And that might be the biggest sign of when you when we see Del Potro at at his top level is when the backhand, not necessarily the forehand, is at is at its best. I, you know, there's so many. I think most of Del Potro's really 
celebrated matches, many of them in losses actually, are when he was, you know, striking in the cross court backhand yeah. so well. Yeah. Um and you know, today I think by the end we saw a lot of um you know, we saw a lot of those he finished the match with a really great forehand against Monfils there. Um, but you, but you didn't see anything necessarily with the wrist at all. No, or? he didn't look. I mean, I never even saw him tug at the wrist. I was watching him closely on the changeover. He never, you know, I, I mean, I'm assuming maybe he had a, a cortisone shot or something before, but he, uh, he looked good. I thought, you know, considering he hadn't played in three weeks and he's playing a guy who, as you said, came in 12 and two with the only two losses to, uh, Nadal and if he just won his, his, uh, fifth title on Sunday. So he. He, I thought he looked real, real composed and confident given given the layoff against the tough, a guy that's going to run down a lot of balls, and he kept going after his forehand, and he was he was really striking it well, especially the end. I thought you watched a little bit of Monfils too over last weekend in uh, beating Gasquet in a in a final in France. Um, you know how did coming into this match? I mean, how I mean, what was your opinion of Monfils's play at least in that final? Because we didn't really talk about that either. Um, yeah, he was much podcast. he was much better. He um he was pretty focused. He was he wasn't clowning around, he wasn't playing a lot of defense, he was he was ending points quickly, he was playing quickly in between points. You know, all the things that he usually doesn't do that we want him to do. Um so and it it sort of felt like he's been going in that direction this year so far. Like Richard said, he's twelve and two and and has looked more serious or more you know business-like up until then I think maybe this was one tournament too many for him in Rotterdam or he didn't really want to be there it sounded like he was a little more back to his his usual self I don't he's never going to completely change but but I it sort of has looked so far this year as if he's um as if Monfils has taken it a little more seriously he's 27 now and probably can see begin to see the end of his career I feel we're just starting with it with his career actually <laughs> But um, he has been around a while. That that is, yeah, that's for sure. Um, another player this week who, um, you know, we want to stretch it back a couple of days. Sabolkova, Dominica spoke of a Australian Open finalist. So she's now lost three times in the past four days, I believe. Um, two Fed Cup losses in the really the only a team against a team Fed Cup tie. Um, against Germany goes down to Kerber second and goes down to Petkovic and then this week uh, you know, loses right away in, in Doha there so so basically 0 for 3 after you know her unlikely final round run down in Melbourne um, what, do, what do you guys what do you guys make of this here because that's and and Sabokova in my in my experience and just watching her really over the past couple of years hasn't really taken many of those early – she's, she's been, pretty much got to her ceiling and then you know exactly where that ceiling is at there. Um, this is obviously only a, a very small amount of um, matches to go off, but you know, regardless, 0-3 is a pretty surprising stat considering you know, how strong she looked uh, down in Australia. Yeah, I think um, – I mean, I don't think it's really that surprising. I mean, I think it, it is surprising, but, but – um, She's 24, and she was ranked 24th before the Australian Open. I don't know if anybody – She the first time she'd ever been to a final. It, I think it will be hard for her. It's hard to imagine her – That's her high-water moments. Building them off that immediately and, and being a contender and suddenly winning something like Doha or being a contender at all the slams. I think 
she was de- you know it was she was destined to not to to have a letdown after that a little bit because that was she was really had a lot of momentum for those two weeks and I don't she really played some of the best tennis I've ever seen her play um, so I I don't know she probably had a week of celebration and needs to refocus it's not like suddenly it's not like seeing Serena Williams lose three straight matches after winning the Australian Open I don't know if Chibokovo maybe she may not even ever make it back to a Grand Slam final I don't know right um, another player we were talking about Aussie Open kind of hangover effect um, Bouchard loses to Maddox Sands in uh, in Doha Maddox Sands correct Richard, have you watched a little, you know, from what you saw in Australia, Bouchard, because Steve did quite a bit down there on her when we really got to see her for the first time. Um, this is someone who will be seeing for quite a while, you, you would certainly think. Um, so maybe some of your impressions on on Bouchard, who actually had a, you know, you could almost potentially chalk up this loss to some of her. She played very well in Fed Cup in the weekend, um, unlike Sabolkova. Yeah, I think she only lost four games and two matches in Fed Cup. I think part of that might be like, as Steve was saying about Sabolkova, just the first time getting to a major semi, and then she bounced three continents from Australia back to Montreal for Fed Cup, and then over, you know, the travel might have might have got to her. I also think that she still. What I like about her is she's very balanced off both wings. She works the point well. I think the one thing you'd like to see her develop is maybe more of a one big weapon where she can sort of end points or shorten points, and I'm not sure she's quite there yet. So then it becomes a matter of having to grind, sometimes against the better opposition. I think Bethany beat her earlier this year too in Australia, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But I I like uh, Bouchard's game, and I like her attitude a lot. So I, I... I think the best is is definitely yet to come with her. What's a uh, what's a reasonable ceiling should we say for Bouchard? Um, perhaps perhaps this year she is up to, um, to where is she at in the rank? She's ranked nineteenth now. Yeah, I mean, is that kind of an unsustainable mark for her? I mean, she does have these points that she's not going to lose from Australia, obviously until next year. But um, and she, you know, we saw some signs of this last year, but. Um, I, I do wonder for her if if it's going to be, you know, a lot of times we see players emerge at the Australian Open and, you know, about seven months down the road, you kind of are almost surprised to see them still perched up at where they are in the rankings just because of how valuable a deep run mm-hmm. of the Grand Slam is. So I wonder, you know, on the other side of the, the coin for Bouchard, if it's really um, maybe too heightened expectations because it reminds me a little bit of what Rionich did, honestly, for her, you know, fellow Canadian too. Yeah, I think she, I mean, she didn't, her best win in Australia was over Ivanovic. Um, so she didn't really beat a lot of, she didn't beat any top 10 players. It was a good run, but she still has to prove herself against against those players. It's a little like Sloan Stevens last year, getting to the semis. Then Sloan had a, had a pretty big drop off for a while, but she managed to do well in the Grand Slams, partially because she had a good seeding at those. So she didn't have to face a lot of top players early. Um, Sloan's also struggled against top 10 players um, since she beat Serena last year. So I, th- I feel like Sloan was able to sustain her ranking in that way. And I, so I think, I think Bouchard has that ability. She'll be, you know, she's not that far from being a top 16 seed at a slam, which would help and keep her away from the big, the bigger names early in, in tournaments. But I think, I think there's bound to be, I thought there would be some, um, 
some letdown for her after the Australian Open, similar to Stevens last year. And she did lose to Maddox Sands actually in, in a, the tournament before in Australia, before the Australian Open. Oh. Yeah, Br Brisbane, I would guess. Um, yeah, one of those there. Um, yeah, coming up next week, we have, uh, yeah, which we'll get to next week in the podcast, of course, tentatively scheduled Nadal to play Rio. This is after he pulled out of Buenos Aires this week. Um, we'll see where this week ends up for um, Del Potro, also Andy Murray in and Rotterdam. Yeah. And um, Fognini's still rolling, too. Uh, don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, um, and Federer and Djokovic also come back in Dubai. Yes, yeah. It's quite a bit. Picks up steam pretty quickly and um, kind of be by Indian Wells time kind of before you know it. So we'll touch on all that this coming week and uh, into next week on the site and, of course, on the podcast here as well. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week for Richard, Steve, and Matt McGrogan, Tennis.com. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.